PC winning that. Moving center. Open Ferrio could get there in time. He couldn't. Jason Lawrence banks it out. Now gets after it. Three on two developing for Boston University. Lawrence gets it through. Higgins centering pass. Score! Boston University wins the Hockey East Championship in overtime. It is March 22nd, 2011. I am in Buffalo, New York. And for the first time in Sportscaster's history, the co-host is not in Buffalo, New York. That's right. Don is under the weather with a case of scurvy this week. And Don will not be joining us on this historic week where the Sportscasters will air not one but two shows. Instead, special guest host Anthony Day is joining us. Anthony, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, brother. Just making history, you know? Yeah, we're making history this week. Anthony is with us on Skype. He is in Waterloo, Iowa. I am in Buffalo, New York, as I said. And we are doing a very special week of the Sportscasters together. Don is sick. Like I said, he has scurvy. So <laughs> Anthony and I will be doing two shows together this week. And the first show is called The Sportscasters Go to School. And basically what we're going to be doing as we're going to be dedicating this whole show to college sports. We are going to be joined by Zach Rosenfield from AccuScore.com, and he is going to update us on the status of the bet that he and Donnie and I made last week on the NCAA tournament. We're going to see where our brackets are at. We're also going to do a three things that is solely based on college sports, and we are going to uh, to also talk to Ken Schott, a new guest to the sportscasters. He works out of Schenectady covering college hockey, specifically Union, RPI, and the ECAC. And uh, we're going to talk to him about the NCAA college hockey tournament, which starts up this weekend. So a pretty exciting college hockey uh, show in store. What do you think, buddy? Yeah, I know. I'm pretty excited about that. You know, I'm excited to actually go, go to school next year. So this episode is, uh, is fitting for me, and it's about time uh, we talk some college hockey. All right, well, let's do it with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the hey, funnest night ever. <laughs> <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Alright, I will kick it off. My first thing. The biggest problem with college basketball, and really basketball in general, is that the officiating is just so darn random. I've been watching college basketball now for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, and I still cannot explain to you what a foul is. I don't understand the rules. I try to understand the rules, but it's just so random. And I think that's the biggest problem I had watching the games in the tournament this weekend. Sometimes a block is a block. Sometimes it's a foul. Sometimes a charge is a charge. Sometimes it's a blocking foul. And I just don't know where the refs are going to go, and it makes, me, it makes it hard to follow the game. In hockey, when someone gets tripped, they're tripped. The ref raises his arm, it's tripping. In basketball, there's a lot more interpretation of the rules, and it makes it very hard for me to follow the game. 
So that's my first thing. It's just that the officiating college basketball is just so random, and it's very frustrating. Yeah, especially with uh, an offensive foul, I think that's like the worst call in the world, especially when someone's going to the rim and, you know, this guy just slides in front of him and boom, it's going the other way. So I think that sucks. But my first thing, um, today, you know, you guys are big Twitter guys over at Sportscasters, and I'm a huge Twitter guy here. So I saw Butcher Gross posted a tweet of the Western Michigan hockey team, and um, they did a pretty cool thing for a kid. Um, it's kid the kid's Gideon, his name, he's three years old, and he was diagnosed with cancer. And his, uh, his parents and his, and his other brother would go to all the Western games. And um, when he was diagnosed with cancer, the team found out about it. And next thing you know, they're having the kid in there in the locker room. After wins, he's in the locker room with the guys. They go, all the guys go to his birthday party. And I think this just shows how cool hockey players really are. And, you know, I think it's good karma now that Western's actually made the NCAA tournament. So I think it's a cool thing. And another thing is, you know, if this was... Miami football or something. Someone, you know, this would be on Sports Center, and Washington, Michigan does this, and no one hears about it. It's just kind of a sad thing, but you know, it's cool. Uh, the hockey guys to do that, and that, that's my first thing. Yeah, college hockey fans should definitely, if you have a chance to follow Butcher Grass on Twitter, it's just at Butcher Grass. And today, not only did he post that video, but he also uh, retweeted a, a tweet by Andy Milley uh, from. Miami of Ohio um, with an stud. interview that he did. Yeah, stud there. So yeah. definitely check out at Put Your Grass. My number two thing, the Big East took a literal shit this weekend. Oh, damn, man. That's my 11 second. teams in and nine out before the Sweet 16. The only team left is UConn and the 11th team in Marquette. What happened, Big East? You know, I kind of took some advice from Damashek. He said, you know, when I fill out my, br- my brackets and two teams are playing each other, I like to, you know, go by conferences. And I'll say, okay, it's a Big East team versus an SEC team. So I'm going to pick the Big East team. And I kind of followed that thinking that the Big East was the best conference in basketball. And they might be during the regular season, but they're certainly not during the NCAA tournament. What happened, Big East? Where were you? Syracuse, down the drain. Round two, Louisville out round one. Pittsburgh out in the most bizarre college basketball game I've ever seen. You know, <laughs> but in all, you know, in all fairness to Pitt, I mean, they did really have a really good look at that 90-foot shot there at the buzzer. I mean, that was a smart foul for sure. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that was my second thing too, Steve-O. But the one thing that of all the Big East is that an 11 seed is one of the teams making the Sweet 16. So Yep, the last team they got in. So it, it's hard to say well, they should have only got nine teams. Maybe that's true, right. but then you would have probably excluded one of the teams that advanced. So, I think so is, is that saying that you know the big teams choked and that the Big East is deep, as they say? But I don't know. It's just tough. You know, UConn, I think with Kemba, I think they can go deep. But to see 11 seed make it after all those big teams are in it, it's just it's kind of weird and it's just – Enough with the Big East, you know? Yeah, and UConn is red hot. I mean, they won the five yeah. games in a row to win these, uh, the Big East tournament. Yeah. And then they won the two games this weekend. And I'm just still wondering, waiting for them to hit the wall. And they'll certainly be tested in the first game this weekend against number two San Diego State. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. The Big East is going to have some, some, some questions to answer. But, you know, I, I think next year we'll be in the same spot, and 11 Big East teams will be in again, mm-hmm. and it's going to be up to you when you fill out your brackets whether or not you're, you're going to trust them or not. 
Okay, so that leads us to my number three thing. I got a beef with the selection committee for the NCAA hockey tournament. Oh, Miami of Ohio got a pretty lousy first-round matchup for a one seed. They have to play the University of New Hampshire in New Hampshire. So essentially they were awarded with a one seed but punished with a road game. And I think a team like Miami of Ohio, who won their first ever CCHA uh, championship, they deserved a little bit of a better draw from the committee. And uh, it's disappointing that Mealy and Camper are going to have to play a very tough New Hampshire team. And I tweeted Carter Camper about it and asked him what he thought. And very diplomatically, he said, all teams are worthy. So they're taking it in stride and getting ready to play the game. But I don't think a one seed should have to play a road game in the first round. So, uh, yeah, you know, and Miami, I think, is good enough to battle through that. And, I mean, New Hampshire's been an on-off team. they got a good senior, so I could see that game uh, coming down the wire. But, yeah, my third thing, then, is, is again, about college hockey. I just think it – I think if college hockey got the attention that, you know, college basketball or college football did, I think it could be as popular as any of those. And it's kind of sad to see, you know, there's so many good players and so many good games. That, and, like, this past weekend you saw the North Dakota game going to double overtime, and it seems that nobody even knew about it. So I just think it might, might be a little biased to me to say this, but I just think college hockey needs more attention. Yeah, you know, and especially ESPN, they have the rights to the NCAA tournament, and they're going to do a great thing this year. All the games are going to be available live. Some of them you'll have to go to ESPN3 online, but they'll still, you'll still have that option to see all the games live if you like. But, you know, they haven't mentioned college hockey all year. It's like they have the rights to this tournament, but... Yeah, they just jump on board at the last second. Yeah, there's no build-up, there's no anticipation, there's no way to really know about it going in, and now it's not going to really draw, and they're going to justify that as a reason not to promote it in the future, but it's hard to just jump on board in the last second and say, oh, oh over here, pay at- attention to college hockey, but at least they do put the Frozen Four on ESPN... Two, I think, and I'm sure they'll have Melrose and and maybe Gary Thorne on those games, and it's great to to have Gary yeah. Thorne uh, announcing pre- hockey pretend, again. Uh, and they'll pretend to know everything about the year. You know, it's just kind of it's kind of just all front, but you know they do their best, and you can only uh, hope that a lot of people watch it. Yep. All right. Well, that's three things for today, and going forward, I want to kind of set up the show. Here's what we got: we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to do an interview with Ken Schott who, like I said, is based out of Schenectady, New York, and he covers college hockey all year. So we're going to kind of get some information about the college hockey tournament, talk with him, sort everything out. After that, we're going to come back, we're going to do a quick book club update, and uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about an article I read from the book club about John Chaney. Then we're going to take another break, come back with Zach. We're going to update the bracket contest and all that, and then we're going to end the show with a college-only pick four. But before we go any farther, I just want to take care of a little bit of business. Don't forget, business. To, don't forget to check us out on the web. Our website is www.sports-casters.com. That's www.sports-casters.com. We made a shout-out a couple weeks ago that we wanted some more likes on Facebook, and we got some more likes. So let's keep the momentum going. If, you, if you're on Facebook, don't be afraid to tell your friends to like us. And you can find us easily on Facebook at www. Facebook.com slash the sportscasters. That's www.facebook.com slash the sportscasters. We always talk about Twitter, how much we love Twitter. We are on Twitter, twitter.com slash sports underscore casters or 
for the Twitter knowledgeable, we are just simply at sports underscore casters. Co-host Anthony is also on Twitter. He is at Dazer23. False. Uh, false. False? Yeah, you can't, you can't oh, dog you me like that, Oh, you switched it, bro. didn't you? That was no. your original name. You, you switched it to at awd 23. 23. Can't dog oh, me, bro. Right. I need some more followers. Let's go. Well, don't switch it in the middle, man. Come on. Sorry, dude. That's all right. And you say you want to switch it again. How are people going to f- find you? Keep find switching. Go find me. All right. And uh, one last thing. Don't forget to email us. We are thesportscasters at gmail.com. So we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to be back with Ken Schott. Like endless rain into a paper cup They slither wildly as they slip away Across the universe Pools of sorrow, waves of joy Are drifting through my opened mind Possessing and caressing me Our next guest was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and is a graduate of the York College of Pennsylvania. He started his career as a sports writer in 1983, covering the Hershey Bears and the Eastern League's Harrisburg Senators for the York Daily Record. In 1990, he started writing for the Daily Gazette of Schenectady, covering college hockey. Today, in the same position, he covers Union, RPI, and the ECAC Hockey Conference. He also writes a weekly column covering sports on TV, a warm sportscaster's welcome to Ken Schott. How are you doing today, Ken? Good. That's a great introduction. Thank you. Oh, yeah, no problem. We always try to make our uh, guests on the sportscasters feel real important and uh, real welcomed, and we really appreciate you having, having you on today. And it's kind of an exciting day to have you on because, unfortunately, my co-host Don came down with a slight case of scurvy. And, uh, he, he, yeah, he's on the shelf this week. So joining us instead is uh, a new co-host, and that's my brother, Anthony Day, who you will be covering the next four years as he will be playing for the Yale Bulldogs in the ECAC Hockey Conference. So it's kind of an exciting day uh, to have you on as Anthony is co-hosting. Anthony, is there anything you want to tell Ken um, that he should, you know, as far as how he should be prepared to cover you and what kind of access you're going to give him? Why don't you give Ken a little bit of sense of what kind of kid you're going to be to cover? <laughs> well, uh, hopefully all good, but... Um Actually, two of my real good buddies, uh, Sam Coda and my roommate now, um, Tyson Fulton. He'll be covering while as they uh, had a union next year. So, two great kids that you'll really enjoy at Union. Why don't yeah, we, sounds good. Why don't we start with Union? Uh, they're making their first appearance in the NCAA Division One tournament, and I have a feeling you've been with the program long enough to see how far they've come. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about? the union program and how their evolution has gone from D3 to uh, D1 team in the tournament? Well, they started, uh, they, they went from D3 to D1 in 1991 uh, when the Army left uh, the league. Uh, the league was looking for a new uh, school and the uh, union accepted. Uh, but the one thing that the union school president at the time, Roger Holtz, said is that they would not treat the program any differently. That made no scholarships, no special uh, benefits or anything like that. So it was really handicapped from the start. And uh, Bruce Deltal was the first coach. He was uh, the coach at the time when they were at Division Three, And he uh, uh, took them to Division One. They, they had a decent first year. I mean, they didn't embarrass themselves. The second year was a little tougher. 
Then the third year, they surprised a lot of people by you know, finishing uh, sixth place in the league and getting to uh, the quarterfinals and almost knocking off RPI in the first round. But then they had a couple struggles after that. Uh, uh, Delmonte was let go. Stan Moore came in. The team finished fifth uh, in 96-97 his first year. But then a couple more struggles, and then Kevin Snedden took over. And at slowly, they started getting a little help uh, with some uh, international help and scholarship help. Not a scholarship, but international aid help. Because uh, after all, the, some of the a lot of kids that come are, are from Canada, and they are international. And then uh, in the first, uh, they finally got a home playoff berth in 2003. Uh, and Kevin Stenton left after that year to go to Vermont, and Nate Lehman came in, and he's built this program to a point now where it's re- nationally recognized, it's nationally ranked in the polls, and uh, you know, a lot of the uh, people who once thought that this program didn't deserve to be in Division One. and are uh, now uh, not saying much about it, and I think there's a lot of high praise for what Nate Lehman's done. And uh, in the 20th year of this year, they won a uh, regular season title for the first time. And you know, unfortunately, they got knocked off by a uh, impressive Colgate team in, in the quarterfinals. But you know, they're in the NCAA's, and uh, they're a couple steps away from the Frozen Four. Who are some of the players on the Union team that have led them? Are they a younger team? Do they have a lot of senior leadership? What can you tell us about the team on the ice that they have right now? Well, it's a lot of balance. I mean, senior leadership, you start with Brock Matheson, uh, their team captain and uh, defenseman. He won the Best Defensive Defenseman Award uh, last Thursday at the league banquet. He's a steadying influence in that locker room, and uh, there's no panic with him. He's all uh, business and calm, and he does a great job of leading the team. And you look at uh, goaltending Keith Kincaid, the uh, Ken Dryden Award winner for the league as a top goaltender, 1.90 goals against average in league play. Uh, he's a sophomore, and he's uh, you know, getting a look of, uh, from a lot of NHL teams. And this uh, season, he could be a guy that uh, could make an impact. Uh, I think if he stays in college, he'll make an impact. But if he goes pro, he could have a good shot. But uh, he's played very well. And he, you know, he doesn't give up a lot of bad goals. And if he does give up one, he bounces back. It doesn't bother him. And the offense has been really incredible. Power plays been over 30% the entire year. He's led the nation. From the get-go, you have a veteran at Daniel Carr who scored uh, 12 power play goals to lead the team with the team record. and scored 20 goals. He's a, just a freshman this year. Uh, the line of Carr, uh, center Jeremy Walsh, and uh, right wing Josh George have uh, been an incredible line. Kelly Zajac, uh, whose brother Travis plays for uh, New the New Jersey Devils, uh, leads the team. He's a very, very quiet, understated uh, player. And, uh, senior Adam Przyznik, had he not broken his thumb, Early in the season, missed six games. Uh, he probably would have had 30, uh, over 40 points this year. He, uh, since he's come back with a broken down, he's played extremely well. Won the uh, best defensive forward award for the league. So, uh, and uh, the defense, uh, as I said, led by Matheson and uh, freshman Matt Bode, who's tossed him on the power play for the Dutchman. So, it's a team that's really got a couple of good lines going, and uh, they're, they're going to be tough to stop. Now, their bracket, they're set up. Uh They've drawn, you know, the number one overall seed is Yale, and they'll face off against Air Force. Um, of course, the Atlanta hockey teams are always a little sneaky, and they've pulled off some offsets in the past. And Union will play Minnesota Duluth. What do you know about Minnesota Duluth, and how will Union, uh, you know, match up against them? Was it a bad draw, a good draw? I, I think it's a good draw. I mean, uh, I haven't seen Minnesota Duluth in the past seven years. Uh, I know Jack Colley is the uh, Hobie Baker, one of the top ten Hobie Baker finalists. Uh, they have a great line with Kylie leading the way there. Uh, I know that uh, Duluth is coached by Scott Sandlin, who I used to cover when he played for the Hershey Bears, so I'll you know, get to see him. But Duluth, I mean, this is a team that was ranked number one 
in the country for a good part of the portion of the early part of the season. Uh, they had the outfit breaks up, and they really been a, sort of a 500 team since then. And they, they lost to Bemidji State in the uh, final five quarterfinal game in overtime. So they're, they're hurt a little bit. And uh, like Union, I mean, Union lost in the quarterfinals, and of course, Union had a, had a week off. But I, I think it's a good matchup. And uh, uh, Yale obviously can't over, afford to look over Air Force. Uh, it's a rematch uh, of a game played earlier this season when Air Force came from uh, three goals down. To win out in Colorado College, uh, four to three, so or Colorado Springs, I should say. But uh, uh, Yale is a team that uh, we could see a Yale uh, Yale Union final. It'd be kind of fun to see. Absolutely. Now, your other one of the other teams that you cover closely, RPI, um, a college that Anthony is very familiar with, as he went on an official visit there. Uh, they are basically the last team in, uh, first time in the NCAA's in quite a few years. And they draw a red-hot North Dakota team uh, with one of the best players in the nation. Uh, how do you think RPI will stack up against North Dakota? And tell us a little bit about the RPI team that just got into the NCAAs this year, just, just, just under the gun. Well, I know just uh, it's amazing. I know a lot of people are wondering how they got into the tournament since they, they were knocked out by Colgate in the first round of the ECAC hockey tournament. But they, they had a nice start to the season. They had a great uh, first three, four months of the season. They stumbled a little bit in February, and they just never you know were able to get you know, they beat Colgate in the first game of that tournament uh, first round, but then they just couldn't you know, put them away. But you know, they have a great forward um, in Chase Palachuk, who won his second consecutive uh, ECAC hockey player of the year award, and the only the third player in the 50-year history of the league to do that. Uh, it was a lot of questions as to whether Palachik would be able to put up the numbers that he did uh, last season when he had uh, Jerry Brandon Peary uh, playing with him. And the one thing that Seth Afford, their coach, said right before the start of the season, he said that Peary and D'Amigo did not make Palachik. Palachik made them. Well, you know, Palachik proved to a lot of people, a lot of doubters uh, that he was a great player. He, teams were focusing on him a lot, and he still got his goals, still got his assists. And he's done a great job. He you know, leads the nation in game-winning goals. So, you know, he's done a great job. And, you know, look at uh, Nick Bell in a sophomore transfer from uh, Pauling Green. From Buffalo, uh, New York. Yep. yep. And he's had, he, he had a great year. I mean, he provided a lot of spark, a lot of offense on from the uh, from the point. And Alan York, a junior goaltender for the Columbus Blue Jackets draft pick. And he's had an outstanding season. Uh, as far as RPI's chances go, I mean, they haven't played since the first weekend of March. Uh, and I know they've been practicing a little bit, but you got a number one ranked team in North Dakota just coming off the uh, double overtime victory against Denver in the WCHA Final Five championship game. I, I just think it's going to be a really that's a tough draw for RPI. I mean, they have to get to the, if they don't have a way for the first five, ten minutes, I think North Dakota's going to run all over them. Mm-hmm. Or such as they skate all over. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm sure RPI is just you know happy to be back in the tournament. The program seems to be on the rise. Anthony, what were your impressions on campus when you were there last year on RPI? RPI, I mean, I'm not surprised to see them in the tournament. They uh, they really turned that place around. They renovated the rank. I mean, they got some big recruits in the USHL, as you talked about Balin, who's a who's a big time defenseman there, and Plachak, obviously. Is one of the best players in probably the country, so I'm not surprised to see them uh, make the tournament, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, give North Dakota a game. But North Dakota, it's tough to pick against them after winning the uh, WCHA tournament there, and they got some uh, real studs. So that's gonna be a tough matchup. 
We could see North Dakota face off against Denver again. I watched a fantastic game the other night, uh, the final five championship game between Denver and North Dakota, and I can't be can't help but be super impressed with Zucker. Um, I think he's one of the one of the best players in the nation. Uh, do either of you guys have any comments about Zucker and the Denver versus Western Michigan game? Can I start with you? Uh, I know you did play Western Michigan back in late December, and uh, Western Michigan took a couple games. So I had a chance to see Denver at all this year. Uh, but I think you know, that's going to be a good matchup. I mean, obviously, Denver probably like to get revenge against North Dakota and get to the Frozen Four, but you know, they have to you know, take care of Western Michigan first. I think that'll probably be the probably a good uh, semifinal game. Yeah, and uh, I agree with that. And uh, Western Michigan, they're coming off a pretty uh, huge weekend uh, themselves, beating uh, Michigan at the Joe. And um, Denver, I mean, they're a young team. They got all the young guys, as you talked about Zucker. They got the Shore Twins. I think they're they're a young team, and I think that can be an upside. I, I, I mean, if I were picking a bracket, I think I'm going with Leicester in that game. You know, you mentioned Michigan. Michigan is really banged up and hurt as we're kind of going through the brackets here. And the bottom half of that bracket is, the games that are played in St. Louis, there's a lot of talent there. Obviously, BC has the Atkinson Twins. Colorado College has maybe the best freshman in the country on uh, Jaden Schwartz. Nebraska-Omaha is another school. Anthony made a official visit. They are very well coached. And Michigan is banged up. So that bracket seems very, that bottom half of that bracket seems very wide open to me. Uh, Ken, what do you think about the games in St. Louis this weekend? I think Boston College is the team to beat. I mean, they're the national defending national champions, and they, somebody's got to knock them off. And I don't think anybody in that bracket is going to do it. And they, I mean, I know a lot of people are upset the fact that Boston College got sent out to St. Louis, but you know, with New Hampshire hosting the Northeast Regional, it was kind of tough to put uh, Boston College there because you don't end up having a Boston because they want to avoid a conference matchup in the first round. But I, I like Boston College. I mean, they're playing well. Won the regular season title, won the, won the tournament championship, and I don't see why they can't uh, get back to the Frozen Four. Anthony, what do you think about Nebraska-Omaha? You had a chance to go have dinner with the coach, you and Dominic Zombo. What, what, uh, what kind of team is Nebraska-Omaha? Nebraska-Omaha is kind of uh, kind of sneaky team. They had Dean Blaze as the coach, and they have basically their lineup right now is just USHL All Stars. I mean, if you look at it last year, they had Matt Matt White is there right now, and he's he could be an NHL player. And I think Michigan should look out. And I mean, that bracket right there is just four teams that could really make a run. So BC has to be careful for Jaden Schwartz. He is an unbelievable player. He's coming back from that ankle injury, but I, I, as uh, as he said before, I think BC is uh, the team to beat. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, make it out a run. Now, you played against Jaden Schwartz and uh, White last year in the USHL. Who is harder to face? Well, they're 1-2 in scoring. And, um, you know, Jaden Schwartz, he uh, he would do it all. And Matt White was on a way better team in Omaha. And I think Matt, I mean, Matt White is an unbelievable player, but he's also three years older than Schwartz, if I'm right. So I think Jaden Schwartz is just a... Just a total player and obviously a first-round draft pick, and I think he is, he's going to be at CC maybe one more year, and he'll be in the NHL. So I, I'd, I'd go with uh, Schwartz in that one. Now, Kyle, one thing that me and Anthony talked about earlier that is kind of frustrating is Miami got one of the number one seeds, but they have to start the tournament basically playing a road game against New Hampshire in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, do you think the committee treated Miami unfairly, or was that really the only, way to, only place to put them? 
I think it was the only place to put them. Yeah. Like I said, yeah, Boston College, uh, they being a number one seed, they couldn't play New Hampshire in the first round of the tournament. So uh, my, the problem with New Hampshire is they always get to this time of year and they always seem to you know, tighten up. And so I, even though they're going to be a home, I mean, they'll be the road team, uh, but they obviously will have a lot of uh, fan support. I mean, my only, my only last stuff something to prove because, I mean, they've been the last two frozen fours. They were a minute away from winning it a couple of years ago, and then last year got blown out um, in, in by Boston College. So um, I think there's a lot to uh, – I, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I think Miami will have a lot more talented right now than New Hampshire, and I think they'll pull it out. Who do you like better, Mealy or Camper? Ken. I'm sorry? Who do you like better, Mealy or Camper? I'm Miami. Uh, I had a chance to see him play. I had a chance to see Miami play, so I really can't uh, give you a definitive answer on that. Right. Uh, Anthony, uh, interesting thing about this part of the bracket, obviously Phil Simone is from Buffalo, New York, from New Hampshire, kid that you've been able to play with. And last year, Notre Dame is another team that's kind of loaded up with uh, USHL All-Stars from last year with Mike Varan, your former teammate, and Andres Lee. What players stick out to you in that bracket having played against them? Well, you missed out on one of the Notre Dame studs, TJ Tynan, who is a small guy. And looking at his stat line this year, it's unbelievable how many points he has this year. Just, you know, if you look at him last year compared to Honors Lee, just size wise, you would never think that TJ Tynan would put up as many points as he did. But obviously, you know, they something clicked with him. And they're truly, a, their freshman class is unbelievable. Duran, Lee, and. T.J. Tynan, I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but Notre Dame is really good. But Merrimack also has a stud in Stefan DaCosta, who played for Sioux City a couple years ago. And I think he's a scary guy who who's almost like the Jimmer Fredette of hockey, who can really carry a team by himself. But, I, again, I think Miami is just, they're just too good. They, you know, they have the experience now, and I think that they're going to cruise to the, final, to the Frozen Four. Ken, why don't you tell us a little bit just about the ECAC in general as going forward here. They got three teams in this year. Um, there's a lot of good freshmen in the league. Uh, what do you think about the future of the ECAC, and what teams do you think uh, will be contenders next year? Well, I think uh, the league has never been better. I mean, it was very, you know, it's always a competitive league because they're only playing 22 league games. They're only facing each other, uh, you know, at home and away. And I think the league is really, you know, with the union to play the way that it has this year. Yale has been, you know, they've been ranked uh, number one for a while this year and really caught the national attention. Uh, you know, RPI, obviously, you know, familiar names for people around the country. I think the league's you know, on the upswing right now. Uh, you, know, you, you know, there may be some you know, naysayers out there saying, well, your 12th place team got to the uh, final four of the, uh, your conference tournament. But you know what, Colgate was a lot better than what their records indicated. I mean, they had 20 guys come back from last year's team. Um, they had six NHL draft picks. And it's just, you know, they weren't getting any breaks. Uh, so, you know, they had 11-1 goal losses at one point in the season. But uh, I think they'll be a better team next year. Eric Mahalik and goal uh, proved to be uh, the real deal for them. And I, I think uh, Union will be a contender again. I think uh, you know, Yale obviously will be a contender again. And I think RPI will be back, could be back up there as long as that Gallon York stays around. And uh, you know, they got some decent players coming back. And you, you can't sit, obviously, discount Princeton, who had a good year, a surprisingly good year. And they have a good freshman named Andrew Kaloff. Uh, St. Lawrence has a good freshman and great character. So this, this league is, is on the ups right now. I think it'll be a good league next year. 
I know you have a vote in the coaches poll. I don't know if you have a vote in the Hobie uh, or in the USCHO poll. I'm sorry. I don't know if you have a vote in the Hobie Baker. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yes, I do have a vote in that USCHO poll. Right, and uh, I know you, I'm not sure about the Hobie Baker, but if you did or do have a vote in the Hobie Baker, where would you go this year? I think uh, Fratton from North Dakota. I've been very impressed with his numbers, and I, I, I've had a chance to see him play. But yeah, I was looking at some of his numbers and and, and reading some reports about him. He's really uh, done a great job. I think he's probably the odds dog favorite to win. Anthony, who would you pick for the Hobie Baker? Uh, well, Fratton obviously thirty-five goals is beyond my. I can't even really believe how many goals that guy can score in one year. But I, I have to go with Mealy just because that team. There's so many guys to score, and it's not like, you know, he's just a one-man show. Like, I mean, Mealy is just, he put up so much more numbers than Carter Camper, and Carter Camper is still in the country. I think I just think it's hard going against Mealy, and, you know, Fratton, uh, I mean, he had 35 goals, but, you know, I just think as a total player, I, you got to go with Mealy. I'm just worried that Mealy and Camper might, uh, you know, split votes. Right, right, right. And uh, Franton will uh, will take it there. And Fran, Fran has a good story too. Uh, I was watching a thing last night, and he was he was sent home during his junior year for off ice, you know, whatever he did off ice. They sent him home, and he uh, he didn't transfer anything. He wanted to prove to everyone that he, he could be a fighting soup player. And the next thing you know, he's in the Hobie race. So it's kind of a good story there too. Yeah, it's just a little little bit about second chances. We've seen a lot in sports over the last year. It's a good story. What's your uh, what's your final four, Ken? Frozen four. Who do you like? Uh, I think it'll come down to it be a down on you. I think y'all will put the whole life's advantage in Bridgeport will come out of there. I think BC comes out. Uh, Miami, Ohio, and I want to go out on a and pick Denver, just because I think there's even one upset in there. I think Denver, you know, may want some revenge. So I think Denver, but don't hold, hold, don't hold against me if Denver doesn't win. <laughs> <laughs> who do you uh, who do you like as a champion? Who? Um, I think Boston College. I think yeah. they have the. You know, I think Boston College can repeat, and that'll be a feather in Jerry York's cap. I think they just have too much talent right now to. Not winning, so I, I think I think I got right now pick Boston College. Interesting, Anthony, Final Four champion. Oh, uh, well, I'm gonna be a homer here. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Yale. I'm gonna go Miami. I'm gonna go BC. And uh, wow, I'm gonna pick all the ones, aren't I? I'm gonna go North Dakota. It's kind of kind of vague. Yeah, I'm going all chalk, but I'm gonna go uh, Yale BC final rematch of last year's nine seven, and I'm gonna go with the Bulldogs. Definitely a homer there, but uh, no, <laughs> no reason to think no reason to think that Yale could not win it. They are the number one over, overall seed in the tournament. Ken, you also write a, a column about sports on TV. I read on when I was doing some research, and that's one of our favorite topics here on the Sportscasters. We like to talk about sports on TV. And one thing that me and Anthony were talking about earlier is how ESPN doesn't even mention college hockey all year. Then the tournament comes around. They bury the selection show at 11.30 a.m. on ESPN2. No one even knows about it. And uh, most of the games are on ESPN3, but at least they're going to try to show every game live this year. What do you think about ESPN, the way they cover college hockey? And uh, if there's anything, is, you know, would college hockey be better off on a different network that would feature them more, kind of like how um, the NHL is on Versus instead of ESPN? Well, uh, yeah, the ESPN gets as part of the uh, deals they have with the uh, NCAA. They have to they should have to pick up a lot of the uh, 
like you call friends, you know, hockey, you know, for a lot of us hockey fans, and uh, we don't consider it a friend sport, but it's part of the package with, you know, taking basketball and, uh, you know, college baseball, college football, so they got to, you know, broadcast some of those uh, sports. And unfortunately, I mean, there's not enough uh, college hockey teams in the country to warrant the you know, uh, mention on ESPN. So, I mean, we've seen some, uh, you know, some of the top ten plays. Sometimes we see a college hockey play get in there. Uh, I mean, it is what it is. I, mean, I think they do an okay job with it, and I don't know where they could go. on like versus would have the time to do it because they are involved with uh, NHL. So, it's, it's, like I said, I, mean, I, I, I don't mind it. I mean, a lot of the games will be on ESPNU, and I know in this area, the North Dakota RPI game will be picked up by Time Water Cable Sports because that was one of those games that wasn't going to be shown on ESPNU Live because they're throwing a college lacrosse doubleheader at the time that game is. So uh, you just have to you know, deal with what they do, and uh, that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of people, I, I know a lot of people think, think that if the NHL were to go back on ESPN, it would be a great thing. But to me, it's, I don't think ESPN is going to treat NHL uh, any better than what they had been right before the lockout. I mean, a lot of people think that the NHL did, did was wrong in leaving ESPN, but a lot of people should realize ESPNU decided not to exercise their option after the lockout. So, I mean, and the NHL did what they had to do, and they got a good deal from which was called at the time the Outdoor Life Network, which is now Versus. And yep. now, now it's, uh, it's taking some time, and Versus has done well with it, but it's... And I don't want to have gotten people in the, on my campus. I'm saying I don't think the, unless unless the ESPN is willing to split the coverage with versus, I don't think it should go back to the ESPN because they're not going to treat it that well. How do you think the Comcast merger will affect versus? I don't think they're big talk. I mean, the fact is, you know, NBC has a the Comcast NBC uh, NBC Universal, what's it called now? Um, I think you know, their chances of getting the NHL, and I think they get uh, more games on NBC, and then of course the NHL is going to look at now. Now you know, we're, we have a strong uh, product, and we're going to want rights to you. So I think uh, they, they, I don't think it's going to be much of a factor, but I think uh, what the person has done, NBC has done. I think they've all done a very good job of covering the NHL. All right, we're talking to uh, Ken Schatz. Uh, he covers the ECAC and Union and RPI Hockey for the Schenectady Daily Gazette. Um, it's been an honor to have him on the show. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Slapshots, S-L-A-P-S-C-H-O-T-T-S, correct? Correct, yep. So you can follow him on Twitter. It's going to be a big weekend, I'm sure. Are you going any, uh, to any of the games in person? Are you going to cover a specific region this weekend? Yeah, I'll, be down, I'll, I'll be down in Bridgeport uh, this weekend for the Union games. Okay, so he'll be down in Bridgeport getting a first-hand look at the Union games. Kind of, it's been great, uh, great to have you here on the Sportscaster, so hopefully we can catch up another time. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. All right, thank you. Anthony, that music means only one thing. What's that, Sewell? Book club. <laughs> so we're going to update the book club a little bit. And uh, we, this everybody knows this month the book club is about the best American sports writing series. Uh, we're about two weeks away from uh, Glenn Stout, the editor of the book club, being on the show. And I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, so I've had a chance to look through these books. And this is the college, college episode of the show tonight. And uh, one of the books that I've been looking at 
um, recently is the 2007 version of the book. And uh, I read a really cool article last night, a college article, um, about John Cheney. And I don't know if you remember this story, Anth, but a couple so of years... was he the coach? Wasn't he a coach of Purdue? Yeah, or? Temple. He was a coach Temple. of Temple. Okay. And he's the guy who was kind of in a rivalry with St. Joe's. Yeah, and yeah. he sent a player out who got five fouls in, in about two minutes. And he broke a kid's arm when he pushed him out of bounds. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so Robert Huber wrote a really good article... Um, from Philadelphia Magazine called The Madness of John Cheney. Uh, and I really enjoy looking through that. And uh, if you go onto the website and go to the book club section of the message board, you'll find a link to this article. I, link, I found it online. I linked up to it. And it's just really interesting about the kind of guy that John Cheney is, uh, very political, um, uh, really gets on his players, but he also really helps his players. He came from nothing, kind of in a really interesting a story about John Cheney, and, and that was a college story that I found uh, looking through this 2007 book. Uh, the first thing that caught my mind about the 2007 book is that Michael Lewis had an article in it, and uh, I'm all in for anything Michael Lewis all the time. So uh, that's, what, that's what brought me to the book initially, because I usually, I don't know about you, Anth, but what I do is I'll just open the book up and just kind of look and see what authors are on. If there's anyone that's been on the show before or anything like that, and then that's where I'll start. What about you? Yeah, I'm a huge Michael Lewis guy too, and you know I've read probably five of his uh, of his books over the past couple of years. But I'm a big golf fan, and then I have the 2010 edition here with Peter Gammons as the editor. And uh, there's a golf uh, story about a, a course in Scotland that already caught my eye. It's by David Owen from the New Yorker. So if anyone has the 2010 edition, I really recommend that one. All right, so that's a little book club update. Uh, here on episode 11 of the Sportscasters, the Sportscasters go to school. And uh, just to set up the rest of the show, we're going to take a s- small break right now. We're going to come back with uh, Zach Rosenfield. And then after the Zach Rosenfield interview, we will be doing pick four, the college edition. So we will be right back with Zach Rosenfield. <laughs> Our next guest is in Los Angeles, California, and is a graduate of the University of Oklahoma. He is the first person to appear on the Sportscasters three times. His work can be found at Sports Industries' premier forecasting company, AccuScore, where he is an analyst. He focuses on the NFL, the NCAA basketball and football, and Major League Baseball. He has appeared on more than 40 radio stations, including being a regular on ESPN Radio, Sporting News Radio, and numerous Serious XM shows. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Zach Rosenfield. How are you doing today, Zach? I think we might have to revise the bio to say now a regular on the sportscaster's podcast. <laughs> yeah, first one, uh, first time, first person to be on here three times. And uh, next week you'll get your fourth time and, and so on as this tournament goes. And our bet becomes more and more clear as to who's going to 
who's going to win. The first thing I got to say is our buddy Damashak does a shame report. And I think if he looked at our brackets after the first weekend, we would both find ourselves on the shame report because we did terrible. I will not be judged by Dave Damashek. <laughs> well, in the first round, we both got the, the, the fake first round. We both got three of four. And in the second round, we both earned 23 points. And in the third round, we both earned 14 points. So as of right now, we are tied with 40 points each. The problem for Don and I is that we only have 80 remaining points while you have 108 potential remaining points. So you do have a slight advantage on us, and I'm not ready to, to, to admit defeat yet or anything like that, but the thing that scares me about your entry is you have Kansas to the Final Four, and we had Louisville, and that's where the imbalance is, why you have more potential points. And what scares me is Kansas, that bracket has just opened wide open for them. Notre Dame is out. Purdue is out. Louisville's out. Yeah, you have one Final Four team, if I'm looking correctly. That's no good. You're not going to cut the mustard. Well, we have two. We have two. We have Ohio State and Duke. Uh, yeah, but you can all, you, you can, you're definitely not going to be represented on one side of the uh, bracket. So Yeah, the whole right uh, yeah. side is toast for us. Yeah, you're in trouble, man. You're we in trouble. are in you're trouble. I, I, uh, hear that. I was pricing body paint. Um, <laughs> yeah, buy some body paint. <laughs> I've been pricing Get the digital it. camera going because this is what's going to happen. As I was telling you before, I might not have that great of a bracket, but as it pertains to this competition, this is the prelim to the victory lap. Hey, so, Zach, I'm not a part of this. Am I this whole bad? I'm just a guest here, guest host. I'm not in this bad, right? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, what did you think just watching the games this weekend? What stuck out? What did you think of the crazy Butler pit thing? Why don't we start there? Well, um, I think that it, it's really interesting. I think, you know, you take a look at coaching. And, you know, you and I talked, I think, last week about mid-majors are the most coachable groups in, in competitive sports. Uh, I tend to listen because, you know, these are the guys who, who work hard, who ne didn't necessarily get those BCS conference scholarships. And, I mean, was there any doubt in the world when Butler took the ball out to half court with seven seconds left that they, they were going to get a you – know, you know, going to score. Yep. And what was great about that play is, you know, the way they put Matt Howard uh, up at the top of the key. And Gary McGee is just, you know, God, he's just throwing up the highlight reels on making really bad decisions. And, you know, for him to lend backside support on a guy going away from the basket, I mean, he really, I mean, he'd have to get a clean block for that, for his support to even work. He left, he, he forgot his man, and it cost him big time. And, you know, that's the second time that Pittsburgh has been uh, in their last two defeats where they've just been absolutely clueless on what to do in last-second defense, the other time being when Gary McGee got crossed by Kemba Walker. So, you know, that, you know, it, it, in and of itself was, you know, coaching blunder number one, that they were ill-prepared for that. You know, number two, you know, it was clearly a foul. Uh, you, you yeah, know, I would, both of them, right? What you do, yeah, which see in the uh, in the in the replay was if you're watching it live, just the agony in the five minutes that it plays from Max foul to the time that uh, you know Gilbert misses you know set you know second free throw. Yep. You had five minutes just to dwell on the fact that this was a team that we were so familiar with that we've all come to love in Butler that they were going to lose based on just a really you know bad decision. By so a kid who played Jamie, a great game too. Yeah, exactly, and you know so for Jamie Dixon at that point to even put guys on the free-throw line 
is, I mean, that we haven't seen a coaching blunder like that since Rick Pitino failed to guard the inbound pass with Christian Leitner right. on the Christian Leitner play years ago. Because, I mean, if you think about it, nothing good could come of it. Uh, so you can, you know, if you get a putback with 0.8 seconds left, I mean, you're shooting 56% from the field. You're a number one seed playing against a team that's been holding on for the last 20 minutes. You know, you know, you have to feel comfortable with your chances in overtime. And to me, I don't care what he says, he was asleep at the wheel to have a guy, you know, up there in, in, foul, in the foul Matt Howard. And it was clearly a foul. And Matt Howard was really lucky that he threw the ball up in the air because that even accentuated it. But, yeah, to me, those were two of the stupidest plays I've seen in sports. You know, it's interesting. I was actually – I'm a Sabres season ticket holder, and I was at the Sabres game at the time, and I was watching the game on my cell phone, which is amazing how far we've come. And I shut it off to preserve battery after Pitt took the, Pitt took the lead. <laughs> and then I found out a second later that Pitt lost – and I'm like, how did Pitt lose? They, they, had, they won. They had the game won. It was over. And to think that they, they went home on a guy committing a foul against a kid throwing a 90-foot prayer that had no chance to go in up is just ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, there was – Yeah, it, it, you know, they always talk about it doesn't come down to one play, and it didn't. It was really a culmination of just Pitt uh, – I, I, I hate to say it, but you know, just embarrassing themselves. I mean, up one with the ball with 45 seconds left, and not to get it, not to get a shot off. Uh, that's one. Two, to you know, to get completely just out coached and out maneuvered to give up the go ahead basket. Um, you know, to make it what uh, 69, whatever it was, 69 to 60. I forget what the score was, but for you know Butler to go ahead, and then the inbound pass was completely uh, botched. And yep. then the uh, and then the uh, the other play uh, the foul underneath. I mean, it was su- it was such a comedy of errors. So no, it wasn't lost just on that one play. It was uh, it was Pitt just doing everything they could to uh, you know hit the superfecta of dunk off. And it's funny you mentioned comedy of errors and bad inbound plays. How great was it as a Sooners fan to watch the demise of Texas? on basically just mental errors and bad inbounds plays. and Although I do think they kind of got robbed. They probably should have given the kid a timeout. It looked like he got in on time, but wow, well, you know, Texas. That's the thing is, you know, everybody starts talking about coaching and, you know, coaching this and coaching that. And, was, I mean, like I said, you know, was there any doubt when Boise State lined up for the two-point conversion in the Fiesta Bowl that that wasn't good? I mean, as soon as they lined up for it, they should have just blown the whistle and said the game's over. Saved us, you know, saved us the grief of having to live with that replay. Yep. Because you knew they were going to score. And the same for Butler. When they advanced the ball from nine seconds to seven seconds to the front court and called timeout, just book it. You knew they were going to score. And then you took a, take a look at guys like Rick Barnes and Rick Pitino and Jamie Dixon and what they had to execute in a complete failure of coaching. Um, look, I blame Rick Pitino that he has a kid on the floor who can't hit the front end of a one-on-one, you know, up up to that late in the game. I mean, that's you know that guy. I don't know anything about that guy, but I see sleeve tattoos and swagger and and miss free throws to close out games, and I just say exactly. Yep. So you know, I, I blame those guys. So these are the guys who get all the love for you know being such great coaches. No, but they are are great recruiters. They have the amazing ability to recruit kids, and there's no, you know, no getting around that. But when the going got tough, I watched all three of those teams just fold. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting you, you talk about recruiting because 
some of these mid-majors who kind of recruit the second-tier guys are, are surviving the second weekend. And I think it was Joe, uh, Jay Billis who was screaming and hollering and telling me I should be outraged uh, that VCU made the tournament. And here they are in the Sweet 16 with uh, really a chance to beat Florida State and go on to the lead eight and take a chance at Kansas. But, I mean, what do you think about the mid-majors representation in the tournament so far? It's been really strong again. Well, Look, I think when you put yourself out there, and you know, you do it with your podcast, and I do it, you know, with all, you know, when I guest on shows. When you put yourself out there with an opinion, you invite the second guessers. Very, there's very few pats on the back when you drill it. And trust me, we get more scores right than wrong, where we just hit it right on the nose, or are so close. And you know, nobody ever tweets thank you. We don't get the emails on customer support to say thank you. But when it goes wrong, you know, you know, you get drilled. And I applaud Jay Billis for going out on the limb and saying what he said, because at that time, VCU, based on their resume, did not belong in the tournament. And you're not talking about series. You're talking about one-game playoffs, yep. you know, where a team could get hot or a team could believe in themselves in a sport that has variance, field goal percentages. And, you know, it's hard to make a basket. And a team gets hot and they play a team that's, you know, flat-footed and they can do exactly what they've done. So, you know, VCU isn't the only team that hasn't belonged to make, you know, to make a run or a team that if they were to, you know, you know, with these upsets, if they were to play four game series or three game series, that they, you know, they might win the first, but that's about it. But, you know, I applaud what VCU is doing in the tournament. It's absolutely fantastic. And it's the cornerstone of what March Madness is all about. But I think, you know, for everybody to say that Jay Bills told you so, told you so, you know, is, is ridiculous and short sighted. What do the evil computers think about this weekend? Um, I'm especially interested in the San Diego State-Connecticut game. Uh, I think it's, you know, Connecticut. I'm waiting for them to hit the wall. They're on a seven-game run here, playing out of their minds. Kemba Walker has been one of the best players in the nation. And San Diego State was a team that I thought was kind of overseeded. I didn't really believe in. And here they are in the Sweet 16. What do the computers mm -hmm. think about this game? What do you think about this game? Well, you know, you think about UConn and talking about them hitting the wall, they've only played two more games late in the season than San Diego State. San Diego State, I think, you know, played three games in their conference tournament, and UConn played five, and they were in five days, and then they had a layoff, you know, of, of four days, and then they come back, and then now they're going to have a five-day layoff. You're dealing with an 18-year-old, so I don't think it's going to affect them as much as, you know, one might think. You know, I thought UConn was one of these teams that was, poised to, you know, Missouri had the type of offense that could beat them, but Missouri didn't have a good good run in Cincinnati. You almost get a relief when you play a team within your conference that you don't have to worry about, regardless of, you know, what the seating is. You know, the things that we say about UConn is there's a reason why they finished number nine in their conference overall. You know, they didn't have that great of a regular season, but they have a really solid team. And everybody asks us, well, do you factor in momentum? Well, we don't necessarily factor in momentum, but UConn is seven wins better now than they were at the end of February, according to our computer. So they played seven games in a row against quality opponents and won all seven. Well, obviously, you know, they win. They're going to have statistics to speak for that. So UConn is definitely a team that uh, is, is on the rise with us. I mean, their simulations now wouldn't be nearly as good if you were to simulate uh, them against San Diego State a few weeks ago. But, yeah, we had them as a 54% favorite against uh, San Diego State. If we were going to redo our brackets and you were going to pick the brackets the way you did originally, would your final, who would be your final four now using the um, same criteria you used last time? Well, 
I, I, I probably, you know, I, I was, unfortunately, I was locked into Tennessee based on, you know, our statistics. You know, the statistics, the stats can't count for, uh, you know, Mike Hamilton throwing Bruce Pearl under the bus and all, you know, the distractions that came along with there. So I probably, you know, just talking about acquiring points before we get to, you know, that final, you know, the final four, we would have made a change with Tennessee, um, you know, Obviously, we were locked in with Cincinnati and Missouri. You know, we put Missouri in, we, you know, based on what our philosophy is. Uh, you know, we didn't see that coming with Michigan, you know, the Michigan State-UCLA game. I mean, tale of two halves, Michigan State played so poorly in the first half, and UCLA played so poorly in the second half. And, I mean, you know, if we had it to do over again, we probably, you know, if we could have probably applied some qualitative analysis, we probably wouldn't have advanced Belmont over Wisconsin, Um you know, we, you know, there was still a good case for Utah State, um, but you know, looking at the rest of it, you know, we got beat with Louisville, but so did everybody else. Yep. You know, we got beat with Georgetown, uh, but so did everybody else. But you know, we we don't we're not going to abandon our picks simply because in the shortest sample of all the one game sample that uh, certain teams showed up and you know the underdog did. I mean, remember, you know, we take a thirty game sample you know, comparing VCU and Georgetown, and over 30 games, one team was clearly better than the other, you know, and VCU's running good right now, so we can't just say, just because they ran well in the last, you know, two games, and all of a sudden, that's undone the last 30 days of, uh, or 30 games worth of knowledge. It's like guys in the combine who you've seen get schooled, you know, week in and week out, you know, as a cover corner, have a great combine, and all of a sudden, you know, because they run a high, you know, good 40 or can jump real high, you forget that they can't cover a slant in. Yeah, it, I really wanted that Belmont game bad, too. I mean, I, I wish I had it back now, but um, everyone loved Belmont. You know, they were supposed to be the big the big uh, mid-major team this year, and Wisconsin just kind of toyed with them and made them look foolish. So I was Yeah, Wisconsin was really interesting because the statistical variance, you know, they, they only scored 33 points in their game prior when they got knocked out yeah. of the, you know, the Big Ten tournament. So we had the over in that game, and it, and it actually paid because, you know, that would you you would expect guys who shoot a much higher field goal percentage to correct that. You don't expect them to only tally thirty three points again in, in you know in back to back weeks. That should immediately correct itself. And you know Wisconsin's you know a solid basketball team, and they're you know they're tough down low. They're going to be a really uh, you know they're going to be really tough for Butler to beat. Can anyone touch Ohio State? I mean, they just looked so dominant this weekend. I. I feel pretty good with our championship prediction of Ohio State, but do the computers indicate anything statistically that well, might indicate a tough matchup for them or anything like that? Well, I mean, it's always going to be a tough matchup if they get to the Final Four. Um, you know, it's Play a you know if, if Ohio State plays the way they did uh, this past weekend, uh, you know, against uh, Georgia Mason or how they did when they played Wisconsin, you know, several weeks ago, they're going to be really hard to beat because. Ohio State is built like the quintessential uh, college basketball teams that we grew up with. With you know, they got a you know a great small forward in Lighty. They got uh, they got Selinger down low, an undersized big man who can just dominate the boards. They got an unselfish point guard who just absolutely dominates their system and understands the system. And then they got Diebler, who is as good of a, a three point assassin as there is. The guy's been hot for three months. I mean, it doesn't show any signs of uh, you know cooling off. So you know you can always you know, teams, and like we said, in a one-game playoff, just because it applies for VCU doing well, it doesn't mean that Ohio State's not susceptible, but they're going to be prohibitive favorites uh, up until the championship game, should they get that far. 
Yeah, I, I just watch just the eye test. I mean, they've they just look so dominant and so together. And the same is with Kansas. Kansas is a team that when Luke Wynn and I spoke last week, he kind of felt like there was something strange about Kansas that they might get picked off, but they've looked dominant, and now that bracket has really opened up for them. And well, Kansas has looked really good. Um, you know, in their front line. And, you know, you can't get around that. When your front line looks really good, you know, you can alley-oop, you can get a lot of layups, and you're going to get that against Boston, and they certainly got that in the second half against, um, you know, against Illinois. Ohio State's looking really good, but don't forget, too, you know, the eye test will always tell you 61% from the field looks good. And that's what Ohio State shot, I believe, against George Mason. And it's really hard to not salivate over those numbers when you see them, when you're looking at guys like Diebler and the three-pointer that he hit the end, you know, the end of the half. That, yeah, it's, uh, there's no reason to think that those guys are ever going to cool off when they keep making those shots. One last college basketball thing, the southeast bracket. It's kind of opened up for Jimmer, huh? I mean, if Florida is going to be a tough game, obviously is the number two, but a lot of people thought that BYU was the two and Florida was the three there going in. Uh, Wisconsin and Butler should be an interesting game. Obviously, Butler is just hard to beat in the one-and-done scenario. Um, but who do you like in the southeast, and do you think Jimmer can carry it to the Final Four? Well, you know, BYU actually lucked out in getting the three over the two because they would have, uh, you know, had a, had a uh, more interesting draw against UCSB, a team that would have matched up better than them. And UCLA beat BYU earlier this year despite BYU shooting over over 50% from the field. So the fact that they had to go through Wofford and Gonzaga actually uh, helped their cause nice versus job, uh, yeah. the bracket. Yeah, they would have faces the two seed i mean they're 52 percent to beat florida this weekend uh pardon me in the sweet 16 so we would like them and we de- we we do like wisconsin by about a 60 percent margin over butler um again the computer's not you know the computer doesn't get uh overly excited over butler i mean when when you have teams that have won what their last four tournament games you know by let two or less points you, I mean, you know as uh as their coach Brad Stevens said on Dan Patrick, is you know they've lost, they've won a lot of games that they easily could have lost. Um, they could have easily lost all those games, but the balls rolled the right direction for them. So, you know, it, they've just been on the right side of coin flips. And if this was you know a baseball team, you always take a look at you know baseball teams, the ones that are doing well late in the season have a great record and one lost games. And if you know, pardon me, one run games, and that's an that's an easy uh, st- statistic to flip. All right, let's annoy everybody. How about okay. Brandon Williams? What do you think? Stud or what? Brandon Williams? Yeah. Did you hear about him? Spring, pra- spring practice, he's lighting it up for OU. Freshman running, true freshman running back. He's only been on campus two months, but everyone's just raving about him. Stoops loves him. Could be the starting running back this year. Roy, and, and I want to know what happened back. to Jeremy Cal. I want to know what happened to Jeremy Calhoun. What so happened do to I. Jeremy he Calhoun? He was a huge recruit out of Texas, and I don't know what happened to him either. I, he never looked yeah, any good was, in the games, though. Yeah, he was a five-star running back. He's never got it going. I mean, I like Roy Finch. You know, I think yeah. as long as Demarco Murray's gone, I'm happy because I thought Demarco Murray was just the biggest dog with fleas. I mean, that guy. The next time he breaks a tackle will be his first. <laughs> well, he started his career great, and I think he just got bogged down with injuries. He is the all-time, you know, leader for touchdowns now at OU. So he's not that big of a dog. Wah, wah. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I like, whatever. I, I like mean, Demarco I watched, Murray. I watched Demarco Murray in more games than ever, and you get that guy one-on-one in the edge, and all of a sudden it's second down. Well, 
anyway, we're turning into <laughs> running back you because it's just not stopping. And we have Finch, and I'm pumped about Brandon Williams. I didn't know a lot about him, but, you know, spring practice, I've been reading all the articles and stuff, and he, he just seems like a stud. And Stoops is pumped about him. Um, I guess he's in great shape. He's another kid. He's all tatted up, though, all sleeved up. But I don't know. These guys get the money for the tattoos. That's what I want to know. I know. Young kids, they come in, and they're just tatted up like I've never seen before, 18 years old, and he's got more tattoos than... I have back hair, and I have a lot of back hair. Like, I I have several tattoos, man, and they weren't cheap, man. (laughs) Yeah. They weren't cheap at all. Yeah, so anything, are you following anything on spring practice? Anything, do you get into spring practice at all, or? You you know, I got to say this, I I really don't. I mean, it's like, I I have a six-month-old kid, and, Mm. uh, you know, college football is such a diseased sport that it's really just set up and designed to break your heart. And, you know, Oklahoma can be number one, and that's fantastic. If they screw it up like they always do, it's just, I'm, I'm trying to become less and less emotionally invested every year because it's such a beatdown, you know. So, I mean, this, the season is such a beatdown if you're going to, uh, if you're actually going to make it, you know, long and potentially play for the championship. But up until then, you know, spring practice, all, you know, just here's my, here's my deal. Just don't lose on the road to a shitty team. <laughs> yeah, like you know, we did to we Colorado that? that one year and, that Colorado yeah, that, game, that that's one, one of the most devastating games I've occurred as a fan. Yeah, that was a, that was a great game. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Having a 14-point oh, yeah. lead with the ball in the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah, that was a real lot of fun. And then this kid comes in who's never made a field goal in his life, and you just know he's splitting the uprights to stick the dagger yeah, in. Yeah, I, I appreciate Stoops not icing him, too. I'm glad we got to the locker room with that final timeout. Yeah, those are big. Anytime you can take a timeout home with you. That's really exciting, but uh, I don't yeah. know. I'm just I'm I'm just so pumped for the college football season, um, just because I don't know. I just feel like we're the best team, and I I'm trying to read. Well, we definitely have the best returning group. I mean, for me right now, I gotta tell you, it's golf season, man. I watch so much golf. I follow all the golf, so that's so what I'm excited about. Who do you golf like? Season. Who's gonna win the Masters? If you had to pick someone right now. I, I like Matt Kuchar. I think Matt Kuchar's playing really well. I think he's got eight top tens in his last uh, in his last ten starts. He plays that course very well, and uh, I think he's got a solid temperament. I, I'll tell you who I don't like to win it is Tiger Woods. Uh, he's Tiger Woods is going to win a tournament again this year. I hope not. I hate Tiger Woods. Hey, let's wake Anthony up. Anthony. Yo, what's up, boys? What do you think about that uh, prediction there? Ah, uh, Kuchar's good. He's a good ball striker, and you got to hit it good at, at Augusta, but... Uh, if I were to pick someone right now, ah, uh, God, who'd I say? I'd say Luke Donald. He's got an unbelievable short game, best short game in the world probably, and he hits his irons as good as anybody. So I'd go with Luke Donald right now. Yeah, I mean, I like Luke Donald. I mean, he played so well in the Accenture match. Oh, my. He was unbelievable in that tournament. Oh, unbelievable. What the thing about him is, you know, I watched Donald play when he was out here with the uh, – Paul, you know, in the Paul Casey, Phil Mickelson threesome yeah. at the Northern Trust, I went out there and saw it. And, I mean, he's a small, frail guy, but my, the, the concerns I have with him at Augusta is that he just has really poor driving accuracy. Yeah, and for a guy that hits it as good as he does his irons, it's kind of weird that his driver, that, that's what lets him down. It's just kinda, it doesn't make any sense to me, really. But, yeah, I'll I think it's a good driver well. and he can win it. I'll tell you also I like uh, in the Masters, I like Nick Watney. I think he's playing really well. And I think the way he played his final round uh, two weeks ago uh, is impressive. something that can carry over very well. Uh, he's impressive. I'm a big Bubba Watson guy, too. So I get 
it seems like Augusta has a knack for lefties. So I think if if Bubba could uh, hit the driver well, I think he could also win it too. Those are my two right yeah, there. Bubba, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. Bubba's, Bubba's playing good too. But my question about Bubba is something that he admitted through by himself. He gets nervous late. So if he's in the final group on Sunday, I mean, that's a different, that's a completely different animal than uh, the Northern Trust with Anthony Kim. Right, exactly. No, he's a great guy. So, I mean, just follow him on Twitter. He's just a down-to-earth guy. And if you hear, you know, you listen to his interviews, he's just a sweet guy. So I'd hope him all the best. Does Aki yeah, score he's real, golf? he's real thin. Real yeah, thin. It's crazy. Yeah, he's really, thin. he's really skinny. <laughs> he hits it a mile, though. Uh, no. Yeah, we don't we don't simulate golf. It's no, something golf we, you know we'd like to do, but there's just not much of a market for it. Right. Yeah. And what do you do anything for hockey? We do. We have uh, we have four hockey simulations, ho- hockey projections. We uh, we're pretty good on hockey, believe it or not. Yeah. Who who does we've Aki, never talk about it? Who does Aki score like um, right now to make the playoffs in the Western Conference? That's so bunched up at the bottom. There is there any teams that stick out in the Western Conference? I'm probably catching you off. I'm probably know. catching you off guard with the hockey talk, but I've been meaning to ask yeah. you about it. We can talk about it next week. Why don't we talk hockey next week? You can still yeah, talk can hockey st- next week. You I can mean, study I, up a I little bit. Playoff. If you ask me any team, I can tell you what their playoff probability is. Though, if you wanted to go really quick, like the Sabers right yeah. now have a 65 percent chance to make the playoffs. Okay, what yes. about Carolina? Carolina, where are they? Carolina in the southeast, they're 47 percent to make the playoffs. No chance of winning their division. Okay. And what about uh, the Maple Leafs? As in Toronto, they have a 1% chance. 1% of chance. The playoffs. What about the Rangers? The, uh, the Texas Rangers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just Texas. having some fun with you. Uh, 89% to make the playoffs. So um, it seems like AccuScore likes it kind of how it is right now with the Rangers yeah. as the 7 and the Sabres as the 8. Yeah. What about the Devils? The Devils, uh, they have a 0.0 chance. 0. Oh, yeah. You can get all this stuff for free. If you wanted to go to AccuScore, you don't even need to log in. You can just go to AccuScore, and on the right-hand side of the page, there's a toolbox. Click on the NHL tab and click on Forecasted Standings, and you can see all of our seasonal projections uh, for the, where we project each team's win-loss uh, and tie record, their total projected points, and their probability of winning the division and making the playoffs. All right, very good. So next week, we're going to obviously talk about our brackets, see where the bet stands. You're going to study a little bit of spring practice so we can gush about all the great players in spring practice. And we'll talk, a little, we'll talk a little bit of hockey, too. Great. I look forward to it. Guys. All right. We'll talk to you next week, Zach. I'll right, see you, Zach. And you're listening to my boyfriend Steve on the Sportscasters. And, oh yeah, Don's on it too. All right, the Sportscasters here finishing up episode 11. The the Sportscasters go to school. We had two college interviews, one with uh, Zach Rosenfield from AccuScore.com, which you just heard as we went over our bracket competition, which unfortunately we're not looking too good in. And uh, earlier in the show we had Ken Schott, from Schenectady, and we talked a little bit of college hockey, which is fun to talk a little bit of college hockey. Uh, but now we're going to end the show like we always do, and that's with pick four. This pick four uh, is college-based, and even though Don is on the shelf with some scurvy, he did send his picks to Anthony. So, Anthony, you got Don's picks over there, right, buddy? 
I got him. And uh, hey, one more thing. Uh, Tammy, you should have had to redo it and say that Don's on the show, but he's not. So should have Tammy say, oh, yeah, and Anthony's on the show, too. Yeah, we should. That's bad by you. Yeah, we dropped the ball there. But, you know, Tammy, she's got a little bit of the scurvy, too, right now. Oh, man. Well, me, too. But let's keep that down. Yeah, let's keep it low, right? Yeah. All right. So last week, Don, he blew it in pick four. He went one and three. His only win, the only reason he got a win is because of his tradition of going with guests alma maters, and he won with Cornell over Dartmouth in the ECAC tournament, three to nothing. Mm. Uh, Matt Lindblad did not Damn. score to help uh, Cor- to help Dartmouth beat Cornell, so that's his one win. He lost the game of the week, Old Dominion over Butler. Butler won that on a last second shot, sixty to fifty-eight. He lost. He's trying to nail an NHL game on uh, Sunday at, on NBC, but he can't. He lost again. Uh, the Penguins beat the Rangers five to two, and his bold prediction. He eighteen said, and two. Eighteen and two. It went, but that's not good enough. He said it was oh. going to go twenty and zero. Uh, the first team to break up his prediction was Moorhead State when they beat Louisville pretty early into the tournament, uh, sixty-two to sixty-one. I went two and two last week. I won the game of the week. Uh, Butler over Old Dominion. I also won my host choice of the Hurricanes over the Islanders, just barely three to two in a shootout. I lost as Michigan State's surge late in the game fell just short. Against UCLA, I lost that one, 78 to 76, and I way missed and whiffed on my bold prediction as Luke Wynn told me to pick Belmont over Wisconsin, but that did not work out. Wisconsin won 72 to 58. So as it stands right now, I have a one-game lead on Don, 23 to 18, and he is 22 and 19, and we will have eight picks this week because of the two shows. So we're going to start it off with the game of the week, and the game of the week is from the West Region of the NCAA tournament, number two, San Diego State. Versus number three UConn. This game is Thursday at seven fifteen on CBS. Anthony, what has Don got? Don's going to take UConn's experience over San Diego State. I'm also going to go with UConn. I think Kemba Walker is just on a tear. Stud. Uh, he's a stud, and I just want to pick the best player on the court. That usually rings true with basketball. So I'm also going to take uh, UConn. Uh, the worldwide leader. My pick. Uh, also from the Western region, of course, Worldwide Leader Pick is a game that's nationally televised. And uh, Thursday at 9.45 on CBS, number one, Duke plays number five, Arizona. Uh, I just think Duke is too much for Arizona. Irving is going to have his minutes expanded, so I'm going to pick Duke over Arizona. Donnie's Worldwide Leader is Ohio State over Kentucky, Friday at 9.30 on CBS. All right, my host choice from the South. West region of the tournament, number one Kansas versus number twelve Richmond. It's Friday night at seven twenty-seven on CBS. Richmond has no chance to play with Kansas. I don't think anyone left in the Southwest region has a chance to beat Kansas. Simon has select Kansas to easily win that one. Donnie's host choice is the number one ranked Yellow Bulldogs over Air Force this Friday at three p.m. And uh, good job, Donnie, on that pick. I bet that one works out for him. All right, my bold prediction is also from the hockey tournament, and I'm going to pick the number 12 Nebraska-Omaha team to defeat an injured number 5 Michigan team. That game is played Friday at 5.30 on ESPN3. You can watch it live. Um, I just think Nebraska-Omaha is the healthier team, playing a little bit better than Michigan right now. Michigan's banged up with all kinds of injuries, so I'm going to pick Nebraska-Omaha to make the upset, the 12 versus the 5, as my bold prediction. I like that pick out of Steve-O, but Donnie's got 
Marquette over UNC in 11th seed. Going to take uh, the, number, the number two seed down. So Marquette over UNC, Donnie's bowl prediction. All right, so that wraps up pick four and really a really interesting and exciting episode of the Sportscasters. Anthony made his debut as a sportscaster filling in for Don, who's sick with scurvy. We had a college-based show. Uh, we talked about the NCAA basketball tournament and the NCAA hockey tournament. Don't forget, we have two shows this week. Episode number 12 is also going to be posted sometime this week where we'll focus on pro sports. We're going to have Jonah Carey, the author of The Extra 2%, on as well as an interview with Dan Kadar from MockingTheDraft.com. So that should be very exciting. Next week, a lot of things seem to be coming together for next week, but I think we're going to have a baseball preview show and talk to Sweeney Murti from WFAN about the Yankees. Hopefully Richard Deitch is gonna, from SI is going to be joining us, and we got some other stuff I'm working on. So episode 11 this week, episode 12 this week, and join us for episode uh, 13 next week. Anthony, anything you'd like to say before we go? Go Bulldogs! Cue the hip, and we are out. Alright.